Hey, it's Kathy. I just want to let you know that I'm doing a free five-day workshop. It's called the Abundance Activation Challenge, and it starts today. And it's not too late for you to join us. Today is the last day to join. Go to kathyheller.com slash five day to sign up. The pre-party has been happening and it's been such a blast. There's so many high vibe women in there who are ready to call in more abundance. I know that you will love that you showed up for this. I'll be live at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern every day this week, teaching you how to become a master manifester. You are just going to have the best time. If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day. How wild it was to accept everything. Yeah. The good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly and the things I did exactly. right and the things I did wrong and my yes. failures and my triumphs. And all of that is mine. And I get to turn it into something beautiful if I choose. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward, but in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful. What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life. And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. You are going to love today's episode. Cheryl Strait is here and I really blown away by her journey. You know, I do this a lot. I talk to a lot of interesting people and her story is epic. And you probably already know her because you saw the movie Wild, which is based on the book that she wrote, Wild. It's the story of her life. And it's really incredible to hear her talk about it firsthand. So I can't wait to dive in and share this with you. Before I do, I want to let you know, I'm actually in Florida right now. I just came with my kids for the Passover holiday for spring break. And we were actually staying. We decided to stay at the Boca Resort because it's so beautiful. And um, it's so exciting because we're doing a retreat here at the end of June. So we're really looking forward to it. And just being on this property and feeling that like island vibe that Florida has right by the Atlantic Ocean. I'm really excited. We did a retreat here last summer and it was really one of my favorite experiences that we've created. It was so beautiful. So if you'd like to join us for that, you can get in now still at the pre-sale price. You can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat and you can spend three days with me meditating and creating the vision and stepping into your true life. And it's amazing how since everything really is a reflection of our vibration, when you really learn how to manipulate your energy in a way that's really positive and radiant and really resonant, you start to project a totally different movie on the screen called The Reality of Your Life. And that is what we will be doing for three days. It's pretty powerful. I've been doing this work for about 20 years and it's such an incredible gift to share it with all of you. So I will look forward to seeing you here with me in June. All right, well, let's dive in today. As I said, Cheryl Strait is here. She is a number one New York Times bestselling author. She's a writer, producer, and podcast host herself. As I said earlier, you may be familiar with her really popular memoir, Wild, 
from lost to found on the Pacific Crest Trail. It was 1,100 miles that she hiked solo, and it was in a really dark time of her life. But that journey was completely healing and a total revolution, not only for her life, but then for many, many others who got to hear the story. The book has sold more than 4 million copies. It was on Oprah's Book Club 2.0 and was made into the movie Wild, starring Reese Witherspoon, which actually got her an Oscar nomination for that role. Cheryl also wrote Brave Enough and Tiny Beautiful Things, which collects the best of her work as the advice columnist for Dear Sugar. This was adapted as a play that has been staged in theaters across the country, and this coming Friday, it will be out as a television series. The show centers around a floundering writer who becomes a revered advice columnist while her own life is actually falling apart. So it's a fictional version that's loosely based on Cheryl's life. It's starring Katherine Hahn and executive produced by Reese Witherspoon. And the trailer is so good that I have no doubt the show is going to be amazing. If you want to watch it, you can catch the episodes on Hulu starting this Friday. Cheryl also hosted two podcasts that were produced through the New York Times, the advice podcast, Dear Sugars, which she co-hosted with Steve Almond, and then Sugar Calling, where she calls the writers who inspired her for their courage and insight. The show has some phenomenal guests like Judy Bloom and Alice Walker. So you should definitely listen to both of those podcasts. Cheryl is one of those people who has lived about seven lifetimes and she's accomplished so much yet she's so down to earth. She's so caring. She's so loving. She has so much integrity. It was just such a joy to have her here. And I know that you're going to want to be in on everything that she's doing because she's just such a person with so much goodness. Without further ado, please welcome the very lovable, extraordinary Cheryl Strait. It's such an honor, honestly, to meet you. You're you know, the, the biggest riches in life to me are the spiritual riches. And I just can't wait to allow you to just Aww. reflect and share because you've just gathered such treasure along Thank your you. beautiful, courageous journey. <laughs> so I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Kathy. It's like, it's an honor. And I love that good work you're doing. We're going to talk about the new things. But before we talk about the new things, I want to talk about and honor all the things because maybe yeah. people live under rocks. Maybe they live under some, I don't know, dwelling place where they have not been awake enough to know all the incredible things that you've been putting into the world. So before we even get into where that work begins, I think the real work, as I was saying to you a second ago, is in your courage to face your pain and face all the things that make you come alive. And from there, you gave us all the work, right? So can we just talk a little bit about at what point in that very beautiful journey of yours did you know, oh, this is going to become my message. I'm going to turn this into my work. Like, when did that click for you? Oh, that's such a great question. It wasn't as if there was just one moment where I thought, okay, this is my message and this is what I have to give to the world but rather something, you know, a truth that I came to uh, both as a reader and a writer when I recognized that that thing we say about the power of art and especially the power of story, that that's not just a nice thing we say. Yeah. It's true. And I would say that if I had to tell you like some of the core truths by which I've lived my life, that would be one of them, that story is powerful. It's not just something, I mean, obviously a lot of us consume stories for entertainment and pleasure and delight and laughter, but I think that the reason that we're drawn to them over and over again in all kinds of forms, not just in books, but in television and sitting around the campfire or the living room or what have you, or even great, you know, Twitter threads that you want to read what happens next is that, that, you know, they tell us how to live and they tell us that we're not alone and they allow us to both deeply recognize ourselves, but also to expand our visions of who we are. And, and so often so true. the times that we need to change or evolve or grow, it's connected to story. It's connected to the story that we've told ourselves about who we are or what we're capable of. And so uh, it was so a slow dawning, you know, as I became a storyteller and writer myself, I understood that what I was harnessing was a very powerful thing. So powerful. You said that so beautifully. And I feel like one of the things that your particular stories does for people 
is it removes the shame. And I feel like after having this podcast for several years and speaking now through email and DMs and workshops and events to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, mostly women, that is probably the most poisonous piece of keeping us from a more fulfilling life is the way we shame ourselves. So we won't even then really look at what's there. We won't go toward the pain, go toward the coping mechanisms because there's such a a sense of shame. And I feel like each one of us is this beautifully messy being. And in the vulnerability and the courage that you've had to so just fiercely tell your story, I feel like people see themselves in there. I feel like there's a way of um, welcoming our entire self to the table that begins the process of really actually having some level of well-being with ourselves. Absolutely. And it's funny because it's almost to trust that, to trust that if you tell the truth about yourself, that you will be loved (laughs) is a really scary thing. Because of course, most of us have grown up in cultures and families and communities where actually we're shamed for saying who we are and what we want and what we really think and what we really fear and what we're really like inside, right? We're told to present ourselves in proper and polite society in a certain way. We're told that it's weak to cry or to say that you're afraid or to be vulnerable. Nothing could be further from the truth in actuality, right? We know that vulnerability is the most powerful form of strength. But in so many ways, I think the way that, that the power of story can be an invitation is when a writer says, I'm not going to tell you about who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am really. That is where people, (laughs) you know, get to say, oh my goodness, me too. That's actually true for me too. And that's one thing I I learned a lot. You know, whenever I teach writing, I say, listen, I know the things you're afraid of because I'm afraid of them too. I know you're afraid to tell the truth about who you are because you think you'll be shamed or rejected or people will think you're a bad person. But what I can promise you is the magic, magic medicine of writing truthfully is that you will get the opposite. Yes, there will be some voices out there who shame you or condemn you, but many, many more will say, thank you. I am with you. I see myself in you. I've never heard anyone say it that way. And my life is different because you did. And that that's what I mean about powerful medicine too. Absolutely. I love that when a writer says, I'm not going to tell you who I am, but who I really am. And it's like, oh yeah, that's when it gets really good. (laughs) That's right. You're so right. You know, we, we do tend to edit ourselves, and yet right away, the people who are the most honest are the most, those are the people you want to be friends with. You don't want to be friends with the person who's like, I'm perfect. My yes. husband's perfect. Everything is just like, cause you just know that this person is, is just working so hard to not tell the truth, which is not exciting at all. Or the opposite. You compare yourself and you think, what is wrong with me? Oh, a hundred. Well, that's you know, if somebody constantly. seems to have it all together, I mean, I think any, anyone who's a parent, for example, has had this experience where like you meet some other parent and they're like, well, my child does this and this and this. And you're thinking, okay, what am I doing wrong? And right. it's really a false narrative. Nobody really, when we look beneath the surface, has it all together. For sure. I mean, that's a hundred percent sure. No matter whether you're Beyonce or Obama or yeah. any person, you, you you just know, as long as you're having a human experience, there's yeah. a level of contrast in that person's experience. Absolutely. Welcome to the, welcome to the party. Yeah. When you set out on that very infamous hike, what in the heck <laughs> motivated you? Was it like a spiritual, like a call? Why looking back, can you, looking back now, that on that whole, can you believe that you did that? Like, are you like, I cannot believe that I actually had the bravery (laughs) and resilience to do that. What is it that was the real impulse that really caused you to want to do that? Yeah. I mean, I I do look back sometimes with that kind of spectacular sense of wonderment (laughs) and gratitude. You know, I mean, talking about like stories we tell about people is, you know, I think that, that one of the easy ways to kind of present 
me, who I was before I decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. People, you know, like when the book or film were being advertised, it's like, she was a mess. She was a wreck. She'd ruined her life. You know, and on the set of Wild, I was really a big part of the making of the movie. I used to always say to Reese, okay, it's true. It's true that I had lost my way at that point in my life when I decided to go hike on the trail. And I was honestly at a bottom point of my life. But at my bottom point, I decided to hike a really long way in the wilderness, right? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I did a really good thing. And that was absolutely rooted in a number of things. The first is the nourishment that I got from my mother's love, that a huge part of what had led me to such a catastrophe in my life is that my mom had died young of cancer at 45, and I did not know how to live without her. My heart was broken. My life was devastated. And my entire family disintegrated after my mom died. I didn't know how to live. I was, you know, also 22 when she died. I was right at that point of really becoming more independent, becoming a woman. And so I think as much as that grief made my life fall apart, the more powerful thing and what we know for real is that what is grief, but love really, really big love is that ultimately I realized my mother had just simply loved me too well for me to ruin my life, that in order for me to honor her, there there was this in the years after she died, this part of me that thought, okay, to honor my mom, I'm going to show everyone, I'm going to ruin my life. And instead, what I realized, I had a, a spiritual awakening. And I realized I had done exactly the opposite of what any mother wants her children to do is, and that is to thrive, to become the people they raised us to be. So, you know, it was when I realized that, like, I have got to make good on all of my ambitions and intentions. I've got to fulfill the promise of my daughterhood, if you will. And I knew I needed to do something that would be revelatory and revolutionary in my life, not to make me into somebody else, but to return me to my strength, my courage, my wholeness, that that strength and courage and wholeness that is in you, Kathy, and in everyone listening that, that I think that we all have that, you know, we don't need to go out and find it. It's inside of us. And the way we find it is to trust the deepest, truest things. And for me, it was like, I needed to do something incredible. I needed to do it alone. I needed to do it in the wilderness and I needed to really listen to my heart. And so when I picked up that book, the Pacific Crest Trail volume one, California at an REI just outside of Minneapolis, my heart bloomed and said, you can do this. And so I did. I mean, whatever energetic plane she may be on, I'm sure her heart is just, uh, just so full, like just what music you just made in saying that, you know, Mm. I mean, it's such a honor to every moment she was able to focus her love on you that you could say all of that. Like, And of course, you're right. Grief is really big love. And instead you channeled it, which takes tremendous guts, which is why you're right to say that you were in this really low place. It's not really the whole story because in order for you to set out on this quest, there was something so integrated in your very being that had finally found a place of some kind of equanimity. Otherwise you could never have even attempted to go alone on this big journey. And so I know that we've read the book and we've seen the movie, but we haven't talked to you about it. Mm -hmm. And what in fact was that, what was happening for you spiritually as you walked mile by mile? Like what for you was shedding in that experience? Oh, so many things. But first I want to say something that came into my mind as you were talking, and that is, I think it's really important for you to hear that, like, I don't think that I'm extraordinary. So when I decided in that moment that I had to do something to change my life and decided to go on the hike, I I think that spark is inside of all of us. It's not like only special people get to say, hey, you know what? I'm in this (laughs) rock bottom place and I have the strength and courage to save myself. I think we all do. And I think that that is about really listening deeply to yourself and trusting that inner voice within you. And 
that is also sort of an answer to the question you just asked. What happened to me mm-hmm. when I started to hike? There were two planes, right? There was the exterior one where I was like, okay, what have I done? It is really hot and really cold. And my pack is really heavy and I don't know how to backpack and I don't know how to use my cook stove. I put the wrong gas into it and oh goodness gracious, my feet hurt. It was all of that, the testing of the body against the world, which is a lot. And, and I think an important part of a spiritual journey. And then inside of myself, with each of these tests that I either passed or failed, it didn't matter. I did them. I continued to walk through them. I continued to put one foot in front of the other, even when it hurt. And what I realized is, you know, I had this idea. I mean, certainly when I decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, I envisioned it as a spiritual quest, a spiritual journey. And I had this idea of what that would look like. And to me, it seemed a lot of emotional processing. It seemed a lot of kind of crying and contemplating and feeling big things. And I got out there and I was so in my body, Kathy, it was like, just everything hurt. Everything was hard. I had to keep hiking. And pretty soon I realized that the body was my teacher. The body was teaching my spirit what it needed to know. And it needed to know that we can continue on even when it hurts, that we do have strength and courage that when we get really quiet with ourselves, we almost always can find that there's a light within that will guide us forward. And those things accumulated day after day after day after day and mile after mile and breath after breath and step step after step. And it changed my life. So beautiful and so moving because I think about how many human beings are sitting at computers all day in trance on devices and reaching for dopamine, reaching for something that feels comfortable and robbing themselves of being free because we're not awake. We're not present. And by being that starkly glued to the moment, which is all that there was for you, there was no distraction. Mm -hmm. You set yourself free. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like how much time is wasted because people are so afraid to be present. And it takes, I mean, it just takes so much bravery and yet the reward, it just seems like is so extraordinary when you just lean in instead of running from it. How long for people who didn't read the book or see the movie, how long, I know it was like a thousand miles, right? 1100 miles. Don't short me by that hundred cap. You're like, it's a freaking hundred miles, bro. 1100 miles. How many weeks or how many months? It was 94 days, three, a little more than three months, like basically three months for, uh, you know, in a week or something. And I really got quiet, like that kind of the world without distraction. Now, first of all, you know, it's a powerful place to be, to say like, I'm here in silence in the wilderness. And I just want to remind you, this was a hike in the summer of 1995. So none of us were walking around with cell phones in our pockets. And, you know, I'm as tethered and addicted to my phone as every one of us. So please do not hear me as if I'm some sort of wise sage from the mountaintop saying, put your phones down, people. (laughs) I need to say that to myself too. But really, it makes a difference. When I'm hiking now and I have my phone, you know, I am still connected to that wonderful portal of my phone that connects me to the world. I've tweeted from the Pacific Crest Trail in years, more recent years. And what I can say is, thank goodness I didn't have that in the summer of 95. Like I feel really a big piece of the growth I experienced was that silence and solitude that was absolute. That was really, you know, the first eight days of my hike going without seeing another person. And many times after that, that was the longest stretch, but many times after that going two and three days at a time. And so, you know, I think for me, what I try to remember to do mm. when I get trapped in that cycle, you just described so concisely is, is I say like, no, to even take an afternoon where you say, I am going to go for a walk, or I am going to sit here and read this book. And I'm going to put away all electronics. And I'm going to simply be here in this moment. It's as important to our souls and spirits as any other kind of nourishment, I think. Yeah. 
I heard Sadhguru saying that like the worst, you know, evil uh, humanity has is this concept of tomorrow. Like there's another moment mm-hmm. other than the one you're in that mm-hmm. has, has what you need and it'll be better when, and it'll be good when. And so we're never actually in the moment. And of course, that's a very familiar concept of mindfulness. And these are on bumper stickers and things like that. But people don't actually sometimes realize that they can be in a moment and find something. It's almost better than joy. It's a little more satisfying. Just the the moments in between where there's no joy. The moments where they're just moments, like simple moments, mm-hmm. being still, if you can actually be in that moment rather than in your mind, chasing a different moment, there's this feeling of integration and a feeling of being satisfied on a level that people miss when we're mm-hmm. constantly distracted. And it seems to me that the life you've been living in that giant quest, but everything from everything that's come from you. It comes from that part of you that was able to sit beside the river without needing to push it, mm-hmm. which is, it's just such an important conversation to have, especially now. Yeah, just- I think so. That's one of the most powerful things I discovered as somebody who ended up writing a book about being in nature, nature writers throughout time have talked about this, the importance of that kind of quiet and solitude and peace that you can have to sit alone by a river. And so I love the the timeless truth of that. And then also the very contemporary need for that. You know, it turns out that to be here now, your phone has to be over there. And (laughs) maybe that's the bumper sticker. (laughs) And I need to remind myself of that too. It really is important to take those breaks from connection. When you came back after that summer, at what point did you know, oh, I'm going to write a book, like this is going to become a piece Well, when I was hiking the PCT, I was a writer. I knew that that was my calling and that was going to be my life's path. And as I hiked the trail, I wrote what became my first novel. In my mind, I laid out scenes sometimes in my journal. And so what I did is I finished my hike and I I moved to Portland, Oregon, which was just an hour or so away from where I finished my hike at the Bridge of the Gods on the Columbia River. And I got a job waiting tables and I just went back to basically working jobs to pay the rent and keep apprenticing myself to the craft of writing. And after a few years, I finished my first book, Torch. And I always knew that my Pacific Crest Trail hike was important to me personally and had been a powerfully transformative experience. And, and, you know, my husband, I met my husband like nine days after I finished my hike on the PCT. And from that very first night, he said to me, you have to write about this. You have to write about this. And I'd, I would always say to him, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't have anything to say about it, even though I knew it had been a big experience. And, and what I meant by that is that, you know, just because you did something interesting doesn't mean it equals a book. Like mm-hmm. the, the making of literature is grounded in the writer really finding the meaning of the story beyond the self. So, you know, some people will say, oh, memoir is such a narcissistic form. People who say that don't really know anything about how good memoirs are written because good memoir, what it does is say, okay, I'm going to use the experience of the self to tell a story that is, a, you know, about the universal experience of the human 100%. condition. That's what all the best songs are. They're memoirs. That's right. You know, your heart is broken. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we relate to that heartbreak or that joy or whatever. So I had to find my way into that. So I got that first book out of my system. It was published. By then I had two little kids and I started to cast around for what's that next book? And I started to write an essay that I thought would be, you know, 20 pages about my hike on the PCT. And it grew and grew and grew and grew. And my husband was right. And I finally found, you know, so this was, gosh, I finished the first draft 2010, or I wrote the first draft in 2009 and finished it in early 2010. But it did take some time. I hiked in 95. So I had that gift also of perspective. Like by the time I was writing about myself, doing that big journey in my 20s, I was in my 30s. And I had seen my life in a bigger way. I had traversed further down the path, if you will. And I think that was really helpful in my ability to tell that story. I love all of this so much. And I want to make two points. One, 
How very cool that you met your husband nine days after the hike. It's almost like if somebody would have said to you, if you're willing to go on this quest at the end, you're going to be open to receiving the the person who you're going to have this love with. Everybody's like, I'm going to go on the trail, but you didn't know that. But the fact that that timing is just too, it's just too good. I mean, it's just too perfect. It's amazing. It's like mile by mile, you know, you are allowing to be in this receptive mode of a higher next chapter. And it's just so beautiful. The second point I wanted to make is I just think it's so important for people to hear that there is timing to things because we're so impatient and especially having social media, which it's conditioning. And so what happens is you're constantly thinking that things happen immediately. And if they don't happen immediately, they're never going to happen. But mm-hmm. there's a there's a richness to compost. Like when you rip things out of the land too soon, it's not juicy, right? But the fact that this story... <laughs> It was in you, but it needed time, like the simmering, the marinating, so that when you went to tell it, you had time plus perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just think that that's so important for people to hear because sometimes we think if it doesn't happen immediately, where is it? And, And there's just so much to making beautiful, brilliant things, right? Mm -hmm. And so- what was it like for you? I know now it's like old news, but like to be standing on that set and then see it become this very beloved movie. Was that just wild for lack of a better word? Was that just insane? (laughs) Were you like, how is this my life? Yes. I have continued to feel this way for (laughs) some time now, honestly. And I do love when your book is called wild, you get to use it, that word in all kinds of of wild ways. So I will never get over the surreality of the adaptations of my books, wild into a movie. And then we'll talk about this later, but tiny, beautiful things into a TV show. And it really is one of those things where, you know, you actually can't wrap your mind around it. No matter how many years have passed since we made wild, I'll still marvel that that like, wow, there is Reese Witherspoon saying she's me. There's Laura Dern saying she's my mom. And then I don't know if you know this, that my daughter, Bobby, who's named after my mom, Bobby, actually plays the young me in Wild. I didn't know so that. when Reese remembers her childhood, there's my daughter who had just turned eight at the time when we shot the film. It was incredibly moving to see her reenacting some of the most joyous and painful scenes from my childhood. And it just, I'll never stop being surprised. And most of all, I'll never stop being grateful that my books have found this audience that, you know, both my books and then the films and TV shows made of them and the plays too, Tiny Beautiful Things was also made into a play that they've found their way in the world so far beyond anything I could have imagined when I was writing them. I feel like it's such a, It's a miracle because it's so beautiful and the courage was so great. This was the reward for all of that courage is that this would just happen in the most easy way. Like there was such ease to it. And to see your daughter playing those pieces, I mean, that must've been like the most powerful, cathartic, moving, riveting experience on every level. Like, just for you personally, I love knowing that you had that because that is just such an incredible treasure. It is. It's a very, it's a very rarefied and specific kind of therapy. It's like, okay, sit on a set. And this has happened in both the movie and the TV show now where I, I'm honestly sitting on a set watching actors reenact really some of the most painful, dramatic, beautiful, moving, whatever scenes from my actual life. And then of course, you know, when you're on the set, you don't watch it once, you know, they do it again and then they do it from another angle. And then they, and I'm like, this is a very strange form of therapy. It's incredibly intense and unique. And I really just laugh when I think about that experience. I can't even imagine. I know nothing of anything like that. Obviously that is so epic, but I went to something called onsite, which is an hour outside of Nashville where you do psychodrama therapy for a week and different people in the room play you and your mother and your father. And it's very intense and so helpful. Like it was one of the most helpful seven days. I've been in therapy since I'm 12 
those seven days were equal to thousands of years. It was light years. It was just Wow. Why was it so helpful, do you think? Because I'm witnessing my little self played by this girl, Alex, and for every painful thing that was happening with my mom's mental illness, my dad's having an affair, my dad's leaving, they would hand little me a pillow every time something would be said, like, I'm leaving your mom or I'm spinning out of control. And then at the end, she was holding all these pillows and the therapist said, what do you want to do? Go over to her and tell her, you don't have to live here anymore. Tell Mm -hmm. her I'm coming to get you and put the Mm -hmm. pillows down. And we just sobbed. We just fully sobbed. But I wonder for you, which is something I just thought of right now, when you were watching back over and over and over these actors playing these parts, did you start to maybe see the story differently than you actually had lived it? Did it like give way to other things that might've been happening that you hadn't even seen? Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's always part of growing up, right? When we get into our twenties, we realize, oh, wait, okay. My parents made some mistakes, but they did try their best. Or sometimes people, it's not until they're in their thirties and forties, but you know what I mean? You start to have a little more gentleness for yourself. You also start to have a little more gentleness to the people in your life who maybe even people who have harmed you. Like, for example, I had, my dad was abusive and awful. And, and even though I do think he's, you know, what he did was absolutely wrong. Like I could have some distance from him and I could see how much he was obviously suffering. You don't behave that way to your own children unless you yourself are tormented inside. Right. And so even for me to have that kind of perspective, it just grants a little bit of space for compassion and a letting go, like no longer sort of hoping that my dad will change and be different to me. And so that's super healing. And I think that certainly watching those scenes be reenacted, what I felt was sometimes, you know, a whole lot of sorrow and pain and thinking like, why did it have to be that way? And then also a strange kind of gratitude as well, which sounds strange, but what I mean is, you know, those are the things that made me, you know, I just told you that my mom had loved me so well that she gave me this essential nourishment that really I drew upon when I made that important decision of hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, I also think if I'm going to say love nourished me, I also have to grant that hardship nourished me, that suffering nourished me, that feeling a sense of loss or fear or pain or abandonment. Those are also things that, that went into the soil that grew me. And even though I wish I could go back in time and say, yeah, I would rather have a great dad who loved me, you know, fully and beautifully. This is in no way at all, you know, exonerating my dad, but also just simply acknowledging that he is what I call one of my dark teachers. And the fact that I made something beautiful and good from those dark lessons he taught me eventually feel like a gift. And they felt like a gift when I was watching those scenes being reenacted. And I thought, you know, like in wild, there's my daughter with this actor who's playing my father and he holds up his hand to her face and says, do you want a knuckle sandwich? Which is what my father used to say to me when he was menacing or threatening. And it was so painful to watch that. And yet it was also so beautiful because what I thought is this is my daughter. My daughter is simply acting this. This isn't her life. That was my life. And what did I do? I went on and became a woman who has children who don't know that those words are anything but make believe. Yeah. And that was so moving to me. And so in in some ways there was this weird, maybe gratitude isn't the word, but a sense of acknowledgement really is. And that's where wild and, you know, when I say at the very end of wild, the last line is how wild it was to let it be. What I meant by that is how wild it was to accept everything, the good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly and the things I did right and the things I did wrong and my failures and my triumphs. And all of that is mine. And I get to turn it into something beautiful if I choose. Yeah, that's incredible. One of my greatest teachers, he said to me, without the Joker, Batman's not Batman. Yeah. And I said, you're right. Yeah. You know, so it's like, there's the contrast, which gives way to the hero. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, 
that's just how it is. And to come to terms with all of that is wild. It's probably the most revolutionary thing. And it's where people really ultimately want to be, although they might not know that right now. And they're in resistance. Let's talk. We'll skip forward because you did other things. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so verbose. (laughs) No, you're amazing. But there was, I'm saying there's other things between that and tiny, beautiful things, but I want to talk about that because it's coming soon as a Hulu television series. So for anyone who didn't read the book, tell us a little bit about Tiny Beautiful Things before we even talk about the show. Okay. Well, first of all, everyone should go read Tiny Beautiful Things. It came out in 2012, just a few months after Wild, but it also now there is a 10th anniversary edition that just came out a few months ago with new columns. And what it is, is a collection of my unorthodox advice columns um, that I wrote and write still. I still have a monthly Substack newsletter where I write one Dear Sugar letter a month that I initially started writing the Dear Sugar column as this anonymous advice column on a website called The Rump Is. And I was paid nothing to write it. I took on the job anonymously. I knew someday I would say, hey, this is me. But you know, for the first couple of years, I was anonymous. And so what was sort of fun about doing something for no pay and no recognition is I could do whatever I wanted. Nobody was the boss of me. And I decided that I would really treat this form as a literary form. And I would, in the course of giving my advice, tell stories from my own life, sometimes tell stories that seem to be not related to the letter that was written to me, but that would wind its way back to an answer. And to really try to draw on essentially the power of literature, that again, the power of story to help illuminate the path for people who wrote to me. And I I really approached my advice in this way that wasn't like, I am the sage and I know how to do everything. So listen to me. No, I was saying, I'm right here with you. I'm down in the muck grappling, questioning, all of that. And so that's the spirit of the advice column is it's not, I'm going to tell you what to do because I know it's let's grapple and dig really deep to find the answers. Which is really the best because I think when people are looking for advice, they're not looking for someone to give prescriptions, you know, looking for a come with me person. Like Mm -hmm. I've been there too. Here's what I think is working. Let's go figure this out together. It looks so beautiful. I saw the trailer. My friend Gabriel Mann was involved with writing some of the music and he's yes. he's so talented. I've known him for years. And anyway, he's so excited uh, as he should be. Were you surprised at the TV adaption? There was so much in the book and they you know, went with a particular angle on it. And obviously you probably had so much to do with that. Why do you feel that the angle that they took it sort of gets to the core of the message. That's the through line of all the columns. Yeah. So there's been a long path to it being made into a TV show, which began way back when Reese and Laura Dern and I, so Reese and Laura Dern are both executive producers on the project and Reese's Hello Sunshine is um, optioned the book and is deeply involved in the project and made it happen. So when we were finishing Wild, we were talking about how much we loved each other and wanted to keep working together. And so the idea was hatched then. It took a jagged path here and there and everywhere and then landed at Hello Sunshine with Lauren Neustadter as the wonderful producer. And she and Reese said to me, there's this excellent, amazing showrunner, Liz Tigelar, who we think would be perfect for the project. And I met Liz and she's just an amazing human. I sense that right away. I have a good intuition about people. And it turned out she was so great. And we just really began a conversation about, you know, because you point out something really true. Like, how do you turn a book of letters letters to me, my letters back to them into a TV show. And so we just really began conversations about, you know, what if Liz Stigler always says the character who plays Sugar in the Hulu show, who is the amazing Catherine Hahn. She's she's ridiculous. Everything she does is lovable and adorable and hilarious. And it's just the best. Yeah. She's perfect for it. But Liz always says, okay, her character is like Cheryl, if she hadn't hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and and published her books, you know? So we have this character of Claire, played by Catherine, who's in her late forties and she has a teenage daughter and her marriage is falling apart. 
And she's asked to write this advice column. And that's where essentially the show begins. And what we get. It's so good. I love the juxtaposition of all of it. It's like, oh, so good. Thank Go you. And then what we have though, the, the other thing. So I said, listen, I want this sugar to be fictional, not me, but she has to have had my past. Because those things formed me and also those things are things I write about in the column. So we use the column in the show and it needs to make sense when she talks about her grief over her mother or something. So I said, she has to have a dead mother. She has to be estranged from an abusive father. She has to have grown up poor and working class like I did in a rural environment. And so the actress Sarah Pigeon plays the young Claire, young sugar. And when you see those scenes in flashback, those are things that are pretty much straight from my life. And Merritt Weaver, amazing actor plays my mother or the character based on my mother, I should say. And so, you know, it's funny and it's dramatic and you'll laugh and you'll cry. And I was really involved. I was a writer on the show. I was in the writer's room with this wonderful group of writers led by Liz. And I was an executive producer. And so just very involved in, in all the aspects of making it. And yet it's also deeply a collaboration. It's not like I was the diva on the set going, that's not how it really was. You know, I, I was really there to support that show and give it what I could. I mean, there's so many amazing pieces of this. Number one, just the last thing you said, I'm like, oh my God, that takes so much strength to be like restraint when you're like, that's not really how it was, but I'm going to give over a little bit of fiction to whatever everybody thinks is the best vision for this moment, which that just takes so much strength. But then again, you just had this whole journey. So I wouldn't expect that you'd be a diva, but I I'm just amazed that you live these things and then can kind of separate from it at the same time. Thank and- you. Yeah. I mean, divas are the most boring people of all. <laughs> boring. <laughs> they really are. Cause it's really then just about like whatever they want. And like that, I just think that that's so, such a sad existence. And also, you know, I have had such a unique experience in Hollywood with both wild with which I was super, super involved it was shot in Oregon where I live. I was on the set all the time. I mean, all of that. And then also tiny, beautiful things. And I do think that the reason I got to be so involved is I wasn't a diva. You know, I wasn't somebody who was saying to all of these other artists who were adapting the work, you know, it's my way or the highway. And I think that what I got really clear about clarity is such an important thing. I wrote those books those books are mine and nothing can change anything in them. You know, they're my creation. And then the privilege I've had in seeing my books go to, to screen and stage, like I said, Tiny Beautiful Things was also a play that was adapted by Nia Vardalis of my big fat Greek wedding fame. The privilege of seeing those things happen is that I get to see what how other artists, how their visions are made manifest within the confines of those, those books, you know, and that's pretty exciting and such a privilege. You explained so well, sort of the context of this character and what she's doing and what she's, where she's coming from. Where is she going? Like in the series, like what is the problem she eventually might find solution for? Well, you know, I don't want to spoil anything. Of course, right. all That's the episodes true. I really drop can't on. Ask you that. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll give you the stuff. So all the episodes drop on April seventh. So you can just like binge the whole season okay. of eight episodes on that day. But you know, essentially. And I think this is something that's really a lot of people will relate to. Is this version of Sugar didn't do things like write that first book that she always knew in her heart she had to write. She is a writer who didn't answer the call. And then when this Dear Sugar opportunity comes along, she ends up saying yes. And it's really the first time that she is saying yes to herself in that big way. And so I think that so much of her trouble is like what happens when we don't listen to that deep inner voice that, you know, I've talked about a bit in this conversation. And then how will your life be transformed once you begin to do that? Mm. I love how the work you do doesn't patronize people because these two pieces that we're talking about, the level of truth and what is at stake for the character, this is like the real stuff. And I feel like so much content that's made, it's so two-dimensional or like it's not really about the real moment-to-moment struggle of being a human being. And I feel like the sexy and bold 
fierceness of what you're doing is just in the truth you're telling, right? And what it actually is like to wake up every day and be with yourself. (laughs) That's it. It's just like, it's the best. I wish that like, you know, and I, I can't wait for it to come out. And I hope that you will continue to just follow your intuition and create more things because thank you. these are the struggles that everybody has, whether we're willing to even talk about them or not. We're really, we're all in it. We're all in Yeah. It. I mean, I think what you're talking about is ultimately about just trusting that that complexity that not only can you be two opposing things at once or think two opposing things at once, but you do. And we do, you can be conflicted. You can be good and bad. You can do things <laughs> as we all know, right? You can, in any day, you can be your best self and your worst self in the course of a day. And I think that when we tell stories that present characters like that, we see ourselves in them. We say, this is true. And I really, you know, especially in Hollywood, when we talk about female characters, they're like, oh, she's a complicated woman. And I always think like, (laughs) that's so funny because I'm like, or or otherwise I would just say a woman, like, I don't know any women or any of your friends or men for that matter. Do you know anyone who's not complicated? I don't, I don't know anyone who's not complicated. There's not one person who's just like some little like you know, cardboard box character of themselves, you know? And so I love it when art dares to show that complexity. I think that's why we come to art. That's so, that's all so true. And I'm just curious for people who are listening, who are really kind of vibing with what you're saying. Do you feel like it ever really gets easier? Like, I feel like we all have this shadow side that comes along and our thoughts can really be hard and sometimes they take us on a ride for four hours and sometimes they take us on a ride for four months. And I've been on this path a long time. And sometimes I think like, oh my gosh, it gets so much easier. And sometimes I go, my God, I'm right back where I started. (laughs) Like, you know, I just, I'm curious from your perspective in looking at the human condition, like, do you feel like it ever gets easier or do you feel like it just changes, but there's some reprieve or relief is what I'm asking? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it does get easier, which doesn't mean that it gets easy. I think there are ways that I've absolutely grown. And I know that there are ways that you've absolutely grown as well. Like when you just described that therapy experience you went through, it healed you in a lot of ways and you were transformed by it. Now that doesn't mean that you will never again remember something from your childhood and feel sad or angry or upset. Right. And so, you know, it, it depends on how you measure ease. If ease means no anxiety, no rumination at late at night, no self doubt, no fear, you know, I don't really know anyone who is that way, but you can learn how to handle those things more and to experience them as less kind of destructive to your well-being. I know how to handle anxiety and heartbreak and stress better than I knew how to handle it 30 years ago. Yeah. That doesn't mean that anxiety and heartbreak and stress isn't still incredibly painful. Yeah. You know, I know how to find silver linings because, you know, I can say one exercise I do when I teach writing is I point out to people that like, you know, as much as so often, you know, none of us want to go through hard times. Having said that, sometimes in my writing workshops, I'll say, okay, make a list of the five things in your life, the five events or experiences or relationships in your life that were the most painful or hardest for you. Wow. What an exercise you know, just make that list. And then like the five things that taught you something and allowed you to grow and become strong and brave or whatever, you know, fill in that that blank. And they're very often the same things. And again, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we're grateful for those things, but to see that like the silver lining of that really difficult experience is that you learned something about yourself that ended up being really important and that allowed you to grow and allowed you to maybe be more compassionate to yourself and others. And what a gift that is in the end. What an incredible exercise. That's awesome. And I love what you're saying that if you're looking for it to be easy, that's one thing, but easier is a different thing. And I like that a lot. I think that that makes sense. And I think that the periods of well-being can get stretched. Like you can have longer periods where you just, you feel some level of equanimity with things being as they are. Yeah. And 
And I think that that is within reach. I do think so. So short of giving any advice, because even though you have had an advice column, no one really wants to be put on the spot and told to give advice. But if people are- Oh, it happens to me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But if people are listening right now and and they're thinking, I'd love to do something, but I'm not going to go hike the Pacific Crest Trail. What's one thing that we could maybe do that you think would offer some kind of insight like you had? What's maybe one baby tiny step toward that? Well, one of my favorite things about the experience of being the author of Wild is all these people who've written to me to say, not that they went and hiked the PCT. And frankly, a lot of people did go hike the PCT after they read Wild, yeah, I know. but that they did little things. Like they said, I have this whole batch of emails and I still get them to this day from people who say, I was always afraid to walk alone, to just go on a walk out my front door by myself. I'm a woman and I grew up being told like, you're not supposed to walk alone. And now I do it every day. And it's because I was inspired by your book. I love that. I think that a really powerful way to think about how we make change in our lives isn't to think like the, the big grand journey, though I'm all for going on those big grand journeys, but what can you do now and today, you know, and maybe it's, that you want to do something simply that you've been putting off a while and you, and it's giving you anxiety. And if you do it, you know, you're going to feel better, like make a commitment to yourself to do it. Maybe it's a pursuit. You want to be a writer or a painter or a potter or whatever, a dancer, you know, do a little bit of it this week. Don't wait. You want to find some inner peace. Well, do something that gives you inner peace, even if it just is sitting silently for 20 minutes with a cup of tea or going for a walk. You know, one of the things I write in Tiny Beautiful Things is is change happens on the level of the gesture. It's doing one thing differently than you did before. And of course, when we do the big things, they're the things that get all the attention. But it's the little things that accumulate over time that usually are what more powerfully contribute to our lives. I love that. It's in the little things and that takes us back so beautifully to your work. It's so beautiful. Everything you're sharing, how you're sharing it. It's just beautiful. I'm so excited for the show. Tell everybody where they can follow along with you, with your work, the show. I think you said it's April 7th. April 7th. So the the Hulu show, it'll be on Hulu April 7th, all eight episodes released. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Cheryl Strade. That's my name. I'm sticking to it. And I do publish the Dear Sugar letter once a month on the last day of the month. It's a Substack newsletter subscription, and you can find a way to subscribe on my website, CherylStrade.com. Beautiful. We will put a link to all of those things in the show notes. And I have no doubt that people will want to be a part of receiving that newsletter because the way you speak and the way you share insight is so, it's not just powerful, but it's like so loving that you can receive it. I feel like the way you speak is from such a place of humility and it makes it like, it's like someone giving you warm soup on a cold day. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you, Kathy. That's so kind. I want to be soup. You're like, I'd be a- like a hot, a spicy, I kind of like a spicy <laughs> tomato soup. You're like, no it's one, spicy tomato no soup. No one's ever told me I was soup. That is a first, <laughs> but I'm like, like, I like that I'm comforting and hot. That's good. But I want to be uh, a little spicy. A little spicy. Yeah. Give me a little something. In a little sugar, you know, sugar. I know I'm sweet, but I'm also a lot of spice. Yeah, that's <laughs> for sure. Thank you for such an amazing conversation. I'm honored. Oh, me too. It was wonderful to talk to you, Kathy. And thank you for inviting me to your podcast and to have the opportunity to share with your listeners. You're just adorable and Mm. so, so brilliant. Thank you so much. How incredible is Cheryl? All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, stories are powerful. They tell us how to live. They tell us that we're not alone. They allow us to both deeply recognize ourselves, but also to expand our visions of who we are. Number two, vulnerability is the most powerful form of strength. Number three, we all have that strength and courage and wholeness. We don't need to go out and find it. It's inside of us. The way we find it is to trust the deepest, truest things. Number four, you can continue on even when it hurts. When you get really quiet with yourself, you'll almost always find that there's a light within that will guide you forward. Number five, how wild is it 
to accept everything, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, all your failures and triumphs are yours and you get to turn it all into a gift if you choose. Number six, you don't have to be the sage and you don't have to know how to do everything. You can say, I'm right here with you. I'm down in the muck too. Let's grapple and dig really deep to find the answers. Number seven, make a list of the five hardest experiences in your life. Then make a list of five things that taught you something that allowed you to grow and become stronger and brave. You'll find that very often they're the same. And when you can recognize that silver lining, you're going to realize what a gift that was in the end. And number eight, change happens on the level of gesture. It's doing one thing differently than you did before. The little things that accumulate over time are what usually then contribute powerfully to our lives. Thank you so much for listening. I know that I say that every episode, but this is one that I'm just so grateful that you were here to listen to. I hope that you know how much I appreciate that you're here, that we're doing this together. There are so many good episodes coming out. And the more I put out these conversations, I feel like you're really believing me when I say there's so many good episodes. There's so many people who are here to teach us, to share with us from such a vulnerable, beautiful place. And we need these kinds of conversations. If there's anyone in your life who you think would benefit from hearing this conversation, please text them the link. Please send them an email with the link or post about this show on your Instagram, because I think that this show could really touch people's lives in a way that a lot of things don't quite do the trick. I'm just so grateful that we have this community and that we're all in this work together to continue to live the lives that we want to live and to show up and love ourselves and love each other through it. And if you want to join me in June at the Boca Resort for three transformational days, you can sign up for my retreat at kathyheller.com slash retreat. It is still on pre-sale pricing, which is great. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I will talk to you very soon. Stronger